Amen. Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer's Fall is the topic for this evening. The true story, this 14th chapter, and it applies to any who would completely defy God and uh, what happens in the end is not something to shoot for. Now, Isaiah is going to routinely, as do the prophets often, weave in and out of the earthly and the spiritual and leave it for us to discern what is happening. But that sort of all comes together when you get to verse 12, and he just sort of just gives us enough to understand, oh, now I get what's going on in this chapter. And one of the things we learned that from the Bible, and in this chapter especially, is if an archangel can end up in hell. If a king can go to hell, what should people learn from that? But people that are not saved do not accept the Bible as God's word. And we are, again, hopefully going to be part of the process to help those who don't receive it as God's word to see it as such should the Lord have mercy enough. Anyway, uh, here we also learn from what happens to this king, Belshazzar, who is the lead candidate for the Babylonian, the historical Babylonian king, and of course then Satan. When we look at the fate that uh, awaited them, all their achievements... All of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon at the time of Babylon's fall or takeover by the Medes and the Persians, all that he had achieved in his life and enjoyed uh, came to worse than nothing. All of the damage Satan has done over the millennium comes to something for him that is worse than nothing. And by that, not in the end you get nothing. In the end, you get punishment. It's something worse that is going to happen than ever before. Well, as I mentioned, if an archangel can end up in hell, well, we can also reverse that and say if a king can go to heaven, if a, if a beggar like Lazarus can go to heaven, what hospitality is God offering to people? But they tend to think just uh, on a horizontal plane, not a vertical. They don't look up, really, not as we do. They just see this life, and they make up things about the next life. And they miss the hospitality of God as sinners because they're too busy moaning and complaining about this life, not understanding that this life is not heaven, by the way. It is the battlefield. Now, granted, some scholars deny the parallel application of this character in chapter 14. Some say, well, that's not Satan. It's just Belshazzar. Um, It's odd because typically many of these scholars see the spiritual applications in other passages of the Bible, and uh, they are quick to uh, receive it as such. Uh, Isaiah 53, for example, they see that. This is Messiah. They can see beyond the immediate writing of the prophet, and they see the fulfillment. They, they follow the breadcrumbs to the conclusion. But they are reluctant to here. In fact, you may have some Bible commentaries, and the more modern commentaries are, are more in habit of saying, well, this might be. Whereas the older saints, they would write, this is. And I like that a lot. They were, they commi- they were committed And now everything is that spirit of, you know, we're not sure, you know, because this guy says that. Just junk, man. You leave people alone long enough, and they've all become blowhards. And and that's why we depend on the Holy Spirit to keep us from becoming overwhelmingly so. Well, let's look at the first verse, and I'll try to come back, and or hopefully you'll see the the, uh, basis for everything I just said from this chapter. Lucifer's fall. Verse 1, for Yahweh will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob. Well, that, it begins with for Yahweh will, 
which connects it to the preceding uh, chapter, chapter 13, the end of it, and explains it a little bit further. This verse illustrates uh, some principles for us that we don't want to lose sight of concerning God and his people. That a self-willed, rebellious people, regardless of who they say they are, will cause God to exercise judgment on them from an unappealing source. Imagine if, you know, a parent says, well, I'm not going to give you a beating. I'm going to call the kid down the block that I don't like, and he's going to come give you a beating. That would be really messed up. But on a, in a divine scale, and, and this the situation of earth, it's what God does. He gets the Assyrians and the Babylonians, etc., to discipline his people. And uh, uh, that's just a fact. Another lesson out of this is that arrogance and the outrageous cruelty of those Gentiles that were uh, tasked with disciplining Israel were themselves judged because of their iniquity. So just because God used them doesn't mean that they were pardoned from their iniquity. Uh, God is just and fair. And just a brief review of what he's talking about in the previous verses. Uh, This is also citing the covenant of God with with the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's saying, well, you know, I'm going to fulfill my promises to them. And we just heard Peter pray that, uh, you know, God acts on his, he makes his promises good. He, he does it. And uh, we get that from the Bible. Not just something we like. We may like it, but it's whether we like it or not, it's a fact. And so Israel will be restored. And we see Israel in her land now. She ain't never moving again. Uh, that, that's God's time clock. And as, as one other thing that comes out of what God is doing with his people and has been in history is that it will bless the Gentiles too. And well, the church is a testimony to that, established by the Jewish believers in Christ, of course. Well, the millennial kingdom, Israel will take the lead. And the Gentiles, remember, there are going to, a lot of people going to be born during the millennial age. And when they're born physically, they're not going to be automatically born again. They're still going to have to learn righteousness. Well, where are they going to get it from? Well, we're going to be around to help them. We'll be kings and priests, we're leaders, and uh, the government will be righteous, and uh, there'll be spiritual leaders. But Israel will dictate the pace, or or better way to say it, Israel will be the model for the rest of the world to look at. And Zechariah talks, many of the other prophets talk. Anyway, it says here in verse 1, the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel. Now, the people needed to hear this because they saw the northern kingdom being wiped out. And Isaiah is saying, well, God's not going to fail with, with his people. He references Jacob here, a comprehensive term. All the Jews, northern kingdom, so all the tribes are the descendants of Jacob. And, uh, again, the permanent covenant, which, incidentally, the prophets knew, and they communicated it to the people, that the people didn't deserve God to be merciful to them and keep his end of the covenant since they broke it so much. But God does. He says, and settle them in their own land. Ultimately, both Babylons fall. That is, historical Babylon or ancient Babylon, the actual kingdom, and apocalyptic Babylon, that world order against Christ. Ultimately, both Babylons fall fall in order that Israel would rise. You see, when Darius and the Medes and Persians took over the Babylonian Empire, within a year, the order was given to send the Jews back to their promised land if they wanted to go. And we get that in the first six chapters of Ezra. And when, when Antichrist, who leads apocalyptic Babylon, when he is overthrown by the Lord and the armies of the Lord, being us, Israel will again rise. That's a very um, critical point, especially if you don't believe in who Israel is in the Scripture. In verse 2, then people will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. 
They will take them captive, whose captives they were, and rule over their oppressors. Well, millennial Israel, again, will take the greatest place amongst the cultures and nations of the world. What Rome was to the ancient world with power, Israel will be to the millennial world with righteousness as a kingdom, as a, as a people go. This theme is expanded upon in Isaiah 45 and 60 and 61. He'll get back to it. He says here in verse 2, They will take them captive whose captives they were and rule over their oppressors. So we have a role reversal here. This uh, occurs in the millennial kingdom. It's already somewhat happening now. You go to Israel, you know the Jews call the shots. They're sovereign. There are Arabs in the land. The, 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 there are other peoples in the land, but they're under the authority of the Jews. Well, that's only going to increase. Now, this is going to happen while Antichrist and his assistant and the global advocates are in hell. They're going, not going to be on earth anymore. And they're not coming back. Satan will have a time where he goes and is locked up and, of course, returns for a while and then is cast away. But the Israelites will be the righteous example to the surviving nations in the millennial reign. And Isaiah is saying that. One of the prophets talks about people going up to the Jews and say, tell me, you know, teach me about the Lord. Uh, and that's because they, they're going to then know. And they won't be shut down to the Gentiles. They'll be delighted to share the truths about Messiah. Verse 3, And it shall come to pass in the day Yahweh gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, verse 4, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. Well, now this is both Ancient and apocalyptic Babylon. We talked about pop, uh, the, the, the divisions of Babylon and its end time meetings last session. Uh, but uh, this includes both. It first gets to the historical Babylon, the ancient city or peoples themselves. Uh, but this is what happened to Belshazzar, the last Babylonian king who saw the handwriting on the wall and Daniel came and interpreted. He tried to give Daniel gifts. Daniel said, keep your gifts. And uh, I don't, you're not impressing me. And, and Belshazzar was killed by Darius the Mede that night, which led to, again, the freedom of the Jewish people. So it shall come to pass, God says, that they will take up this proverb and say how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased, and the oppressor being Belshazzar. And this has, this is beginning, the beginning of applications to a greater figure which is Lucifer himself. Uh, Babylon, at the time that Isaiah says this, is not the world power, and really not even a candidate. But they're the future oppressor of Judah, and Isaiah is introducing them. So if you're a Jew, and you go in captivity to Babylon, and you have the writings of Isaiah... You're going to understand all these things that he was saying about Babylon are coming true. And you're going to have great confidence in your God, the prophets. And spiritually, you're going to be encouraged. You say, well, how do we know if any of those captives in Babylon even bothered with the writings of the prophets? Because Jer uh, Daniel tells us, I was reading Jeremiah. And he talks about the 70 years. So yes, they did read the prophets. And just because, they, you know, he, he, Daniel could have had Isaiah as his favorite prophet. Just because he doesn't say that doesn't mean it wasn't true. Those men were into the scripture. What are they also going to read, you know, in, in Babylon? The Babylon Post, uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, which is a confused... Anyway, so uh, anyway, Isaiah, he describes how the spirits of dead tyrants... Will, and when he get to chapters, uh, verses 9 and 10, he's going to describe how the spirits of these dead tyrant kings received this king of Babylon. But we've got to be careful when we go into this and, and understand that he's very likely being, uh, giving us a 
picture, a painting of facts and not necessarily saying this is exactly what's going to happen, though in the end it is. But we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. So uh, the, the pride, he, he brings that up, the oppressor, that um, it, it's over for Belshazzar. He was killed. He was buried without the burial of a king. And his royal corpse, of course, went the way of all the earth. In a nutshell, just reviewing this, and this is important, when I, I hope, I, at least I thought it was, and I hope you do too. In a nutshell, verses 3 through 23 of this 14th chapter illustrate the ultimate outcome of an a unworthy and evil ruler, one whose pride brought to him personal destruction as well as the destruction of others. Isaiah described the king's arrival into the world of the dead. And he said, essentially, he wasn't a ruler anymore. It didn't work out well for him because this is a thought people have that I've survived in this life. I've faced hardship and somehow I'll face it when I die. Well, no, you won't. Without a savior, the operative word savior, you're not going to do well. And it's going to be too late. It should be that sense of fear. The fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge. The wealth, the splendor, the freedom, and the power, they don't exist for you, anybody in hell. So we read Revelation 18 about apocalyptic end times Babylon. And we see the very, sim, you know, parallels ancient Babylon. The merchants of these things who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning, saying, what is like this great city? Well, they honored the city. They honored the system. They're part of it. And, and what John is saying is, you know, you think you're secure. You've got this global economy. You're doing well. It's all going to crash. And all of your achievements will not matter. You'll have a problem that you cannot fix. This is the story. You see a great athlete. You can see a great scientist. You can see someone who has contributed to humanity. But they are anti-Christ in their beliefs. They will die and all of their earthly achievements will be gone. They will have nothing. No one's going to say to them, weren't you MVP back in... No, no one's going to... It's not even going to come up. The dead kings, in the scenario that Isaiah will give, already in Sheol, stood in tribute to the... Belshazzar, king of Babylon, coming in, but it was mockery. And so Isaiah, again, he's not trying to say this is really going to happen like that. He said, let me just paint a picture for you of how things will roll out, how they'll end up. You think you're going to somehow retain some status that you gained on earth when you get to hell? It's not going to happen. Hell is going to mock everything you believe. Death is the great equalizer and more if you go to the wrong place at death. And uh, there are no kings in this world of the world of the dead that are kings anymore. And so he declares the fate of the wicked. So we're going to come to that beginning in verse 9. Anyway, verse 5, And Yahweh has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, because he's sovereign. Verse 6, He who struck the people in wrath will... With a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. So when this king is dispatched, everybody's going to be happy about that. This goes beyond the wicked king Belshazzar. It extends to Satan. And again, you really don't get it till we get to, to verse 12. Then it all just comes together. Both are tyrants. Both wanted that self-idolizing power. It fits Satan. It fits Belshazzar. 
Revelation 20.10, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, where this is going, according to Isaiah, is not going to go well for Belshazzar. He's going to be tormented too. Because it has this dual application. That's what the intention was of the Holy Spirit. To point to Belshazzar, you see what's going to happen to him? And it's going to happen to Satan too. Because I'm on the throne and I'm in control. And this kind of behavior, this is how I'm going to deal with it. You say, as a Christian, okay, it helps my theology to understand the spiritual evil. But what am I supposed to do with it? And the hope is always, you know, if you know these things, if you can say, repeat these truths without opening your Bible, you now are a, a, a journeyman Christian. You can go to any job and work the job. You want God to bring someone in front of you who's interested in this. Because what good is it if you've got all this Bible knowledge and you've got no audience? You, know, you can't study commentaries, you know, really too far if you have no outlet. Uh, you know, it just becomes after a while entertainment. You've got to have an outlet. And if you don't, you cry out to the Lord. You ask for him one. Now, there's different ways. If you can be serving in the body of Christ and engaging with people and then you're getting the outlet there. Um, or you can have unbelievers in your life that you are interested at some point. Anyway, verse 8 well, shouldn't a, pastor, shouldn't a pastor always keep evangelism in the forefront of ministry? Shouldn't a pastor always be telling a congregation, hey, there are dead souls out there we want to revive, or bring to life. They've never been alive. They, we want to have them come to life. Paul said that to the Ephesians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive. Maybe I'll quote that later. Anyway, verse 8 Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Well, this is ancient language for ancient war warfare. The armies in those days would strip a forest to make use of her timber to build uh, war machines, siege towers, and catapults, etc. Well, uh, the, 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 he's personifying the forest, and the forest is just, woo, we're glad we're rid of that guy. He's not going to start any more wars and strip us of, of you know, the, ourselves, the trees. So uh, you can, it has many applications. You can draw from that in real life. The, you know, you, how, how some evil ruler in this world is removed and what relief comes with their removal. Unfortunately, in many places, you remove one wicked ruler, you get another one in, behind them. Verse 9, hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. And see here, uh, the Sheol, hell, translated hell in the New King James, that first word in verse 9, uh, Sheol, it's the pit of death. And uh, it is what he's, the picture he's painting is that hell is loving this. Well, hell doesn't love anything. It's in a state of disaster. I'm not talking about right now and in the end. Uh, well, even now, the inhabitants are not doing well there. Jesus was very gentle in presenting the picture of the rich man in, in Sheol, the underworld. And he, that guy wasn't having a good day. He wanted out, didn't want his family to come. But anyway, uh, coming back to this, Isaiah is making a point. He's not trying to make a doctrinal statement on the afterlife. Uh, He's saying they're going to have their own problems where you're going, Belshazzar. Hell is the ultimate place of powerlessness. It is the ultimate of lost freedom. It is everything that disturbs a human being. And it doesn't even have to try to be dramatic in doing it. Just by what is not there is enough to make it a place to not want to be there. And Isaiah, this man of God, was given great prophetic visions, many already fulfilled, even in his day. His messianic prophecies are astounding. That makes the future generations say, 
what this guy is saying is true. It's it's like, you know, a guy who steps into the batter's box in baseball and hits a home run every time. If you were not promoting gambling, but just for the sake of making the point, if you were forced to bet, would he get a home run this time? Of course you're going to say, yep, he's going to get one. And and so maybe that's a, a crude way and clumsy way of trying to illustrate that here we have the prophetic record of Isaiah, and if he says something, you better listen, because his record has made him an asset to God. And this is to be true with, with Peter uh, also. The, the Roman centurion recognized it with Jesus. You know, Lord, you command the underworld. You say to one, come, and he comes. One, go, he goes. You, you command the underworld, and I get that, and I'm asking you to make a commandment on my behalf. And the Lord said, I have not seen this kind of faith in Israel. This guy connected the dots, and he came to the conclusion that everybody else should come to. And so here, as we're reading this from Isaiah, we who believe are not saying, yeah, I'm not so sure he knows what he's talking about. We're saying, yeah, we, we're totally into this. We don't need a liberal theologian. We don't need an atheist to sign off on this to approve us, to approve what's being believed and said. We believe without them. What, what would I, what would I, if I could be the way I am now mentally, 19 years old in college, I would wipe the floor with those guys. It would be like, who cares what you think? You know, who do you think you are? I could stop you from very quickly from, from lying to us like this and bullying us. I'm going to wait for you by your car after that. Fear has a way of shutting people up. Anyway, okay, I went a little too far with that. Well, but it's true. If, 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 you, if you told a college professor, if you don't stop lying to these kids, I'm going to beat you up. He's probably going to stop lying to them so long as you're around. Okay, maybe you don't come from that kind of neighborhood. I do. All right, anyhow. Chief ones of the earth, literally in the Hebrew, the he goats, <laughs> leaders of the herd. I, Isaiah, just poetic in his language. And he's again saying, Hell is going to be excited for you, O king of Babylon. But it transferred to Satan. He's saying, You know, the place you think you rule in? Let me tell you how it's going to work out for you. Now, it's not for Satan. Satan doesn't care what Isaiah is saying. We do. We listen to this. And so, you know, this is a parabolic much of this. Uh, if you were to say, you don't think it's literal, everything he's saying? Well, I couldn't insist that it's not. But I don't think that is the idea in Isaiah. He's trying, it's like the when Micaiah the prophet said, let me tell you a story about these guys that came up to Satan. He's illustrating his point. He's not trying to say, this is a theological doctrine I'm establishing. Uh, so, uh, that that's what Isaiah is doing. He's trying to make his point. Uh, and he, but he does present people in the underworld still able to r- recall things. Well, Jesus did that when he talked about the rich man. I hope we didn't lose you on that. I just want to try to stay sober in our understanding of Scripture, remembering we never have to read miracles into anything in the Scripture. When the miracles occur, they pop out at you. And that's, this is the case when we get to verse 12. It's Satan he's talking about. It's going to pop up out at, at us. And when you get one of those uh, commentators that doesn't want to say it, it's like, why? Why won't you step up and say, hey, this is Satan? Because it can't fit any human being. We'll get to that. Verse 10. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Well, nobody's going to be asking questions when Belshazzar gets to hell. And that's why I'm telling you, the prophet is illustrating for us, this is the end result. And there's so much logic and, and appeal to this approach that he is using, causing his readers to think it through a little bit. I'll add, I think almost all of the prophecies were first preached before they were written. In some form, the, the prophets were... were ahead of it before they they put it onto parchment. Uh, The Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letters, much of what he was saying, he had been preaching to the people where he was. Uh, So if you've been a preacher, then you know that you're always doing that. 
You're, you know, you study your devotions time, you go out to have dinner with somebody, and next thing you know, you're quoting what you were getting in your devotions. And um, then when they come back from the bathroom, you say, you missed it, you should have been here. Anyway, <laughs> not true. Anyway, I think that's the reality behind it. Verse 10, they all shall speak and say to you, have you also become weak as we, have you become like us? So this... I think the value of this diminishes if he's talking just to a mere, only about a man, a human being. Its full significance is applied to Lucifer. So in a nutshell, again, verses 3 through 23 illustrate the ultimate outcome of a mighty ruler. One whose pride has caved in on them. And the dead kings are already in Sheol uh, and uh, Isaiah is portraying them as mocking the new uh, arrival. <laughs> uh, verse 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you, and worms cover you. So he's, again, he's presenting this dead individual and his end. What's going to happen to your body, Belshazzar? Well, the maggots are going to eat it. That's, you know, one of the things. That's a normal process of things. Decom- decomposition. Of all your earthly treasures, of yourself, everything is going to be consumed. And then what about your achievements? Well, Paul put it this way. Saying the same thing, essentially. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. It's a little different in Paul, of course, because he's saying to believers, you know, you do this work, and there's stuff you're going to do that's just junk, and you want to not be guilty of that. You, you want the more valuable service to the Lord, but the, the principles exist Uh, What's going to happen in the end? For Belshazzar, he loses everything. For the Christian, we don't want to lose our rewards. We want those rewards. That's why they exist, and they should encourage us. Uh, I I mean, I don't know that we should walk around thinking about them. That would be the prosperity teachers, thinking about their rewards they're going to get here on earth. But we should... uh, certainly be aware that, you know, the Lord Jesus said, my reward is with me. Well, we shouldn't trivialize that. So we get into a place where we, I'm not going to let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. I'm going to do the best I can do, and I'm not going to keep a tally on it. The Lord will. I believe that because he says that in more than one place. And Paul comes along and says, just be careful that you you don't um, offer up token work. You know, I'm going to go help the church out. Well, don't come help the church out. Serve the Lord. If your motive is helping us out, if that's in the front, it's not a good way to go. The better way is I'm going to serve the Lord. I can see the church needs help, and I'm jumping in. Uh, I think that is a better approach. And I, I say that because over the years I've come across those that felt that they were doing the church help, and we don't really don't want them because they weren't in, they really weren't serving the Lord. They just thought this was a good deed, and Christ really wasn't the fact, the, the, the dominant factor. Verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And he's going to start, this is going to escalate from this point forward. And he's now transitioning from just speaking about Belshazzar, though he, it's been weaved in and out even with Belshazzar, but he's going to intensify it. This word, um, for you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Well, Lucifer is the Latin word for the morning star. Venus, you you could even say. And uh, the the star shines, but is going to be swallowed up by the light of the sun. This was a Babylonian goddess. Uh, The Babylonians worshipped Ishtar, which is Venus. And uh, the ancient Babylon city, the Chaldeans, they were, this was the headwaters of the occult, of occultic idolatry. Uh, Alexander Hislop's book, Two Babylons, you know, it matches scripture, and I, I, I'm bringing it up because there have been those, just talking about this with my wife a few days ago, 
There are those that have said, well, the book's not trustworthy. It's been proven false. But I haven't heard anybody tell, point to where it's proven false. He, he, he documents a lot of his stuff. And just saying, well, it's proven false. <laughs> That's not enough. Insistence is not enough. Show me the facts. Because when you read about what he says about ancient Babylon, you say, well, this is history from other sources we have today. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where uh, the inconsistencies are or the errors, if you find out, and you can let me know, and then we'll pull it from the chapel store. But until then, it, it stays. Um, you got to have the strength of two or three witnesses. It's a good way to go. Anyway, uh, so maybe you've heard that. I heard it years ago, but the guy I heard it from, I didn't like. So I said, I'm not trusting him. Mm-hmm. And I still don't like the guy, incidentally, and you need to know that. You want to know who he is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I don't think it's someone that you all would listen to, because then I would say it. No, I wouldn't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Satan, of course, he tries to imitate the Lord. The Lord is the, the bright uh, and morning star, Revelation twenty two sixteen. Satan is the one that says, I will be like the Most High. And God says, no, you won't. And so do we. And so he wanted to capture worship for himself. He is the great imitator. And Paul is careful to bring that out in the New Testament there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, a familiar passage. For Isn't it interesting that these kind of passages we have no problem remembering? Maybe not memorized, but we remember them. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore... It is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. There's a consequence, he says. There are frauds. There are those who are not apostles, but they're behaving as so. So they can get fed, and they can get a salary, and they can get the attention, and the authority, and all those things. And they're just like the devil. And so he tells the Corinthians that, because the Corinthians, many of them lack discernment, but they boasted they had it. You meet people like today, there's some people that have told me, I have the gift of discernment. I know what church and books they liked. And it took restraint to not bust out in their face laughing. and say, spell discernment. Because you must have a different word, language, and alphabet. Uh, anyhow, you got to be careful. You don't get pride. You get pride correcting somebody who's clearly wrong. And so, you, you know, it's like, can you not be wrong? Because then it tempts me to be proud. I guess you all have never had these experiences in your earlier days as Christians. Uh, Not that I have, but I've watched some of you and picked it up. Anyway, what earthly king has fallen from heaven? None. This is why it moves into something other. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened nations. Well, Belshazzar's kingdom, the Babylonians, weakened nations, but that doesn't mean that's all there is. This is global that the, the prophet is, is giving to us. And someone could say, well, he's just talking about, you know, the world as he understood it then. Well, that's true, but the Holy Spirit certainly speaking through all the ages. This is beyond just... Uh, Belshazzar, because Jesus said this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He adds that touch as though he was a a witness because he was. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So the prophet saw in in here, in this, what he's writing about and preaching about, something far deeper than the kingdoms of men and the thrones that are occupied by men, he sees the defeat of Satan's empire. The fall of the king of Babylon, he saw the fall of of Satan, the ruler of this world. That's what the Bible calls him, the ruler of this world. I said earlier, he's dealing with monarchs. John 12, Jesus speaking, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And that's, of course, a process. And it was not an instant thing. In some ways it is, but ultimately uh, it will not be until he is locked away. Lucifer, that Satan 
of old seeks to energize and motivate the leaders of the world. That's why he comes into the picture concerning the kings of Tyre in Ezekiel 28 and here in the, the kings of Babylon. Satan is the power behind the scenes. Satan spiritually energizes world leaders, and we're seeing this. Who do you think is egging Vladimir Putin on? I mean, it, it's, it's not Mr. Rogers. Uh, who's, what's the force behind it? You look at these, this guy is evil, what he's doing. This is so, you know, he wants to look out for his economy and his country, but really, the, the slaughter, the evil that's taking place, this is satanic. Satan doesn't need to, he doesn't just work with world, we just, I don't want to reference current events, but we just saw Satan show up in Nashville. He has to have people to do these things. This is a very real thing. That's why I started out by saying, you know, uh, people who are naysayers about the scripture, they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to God. It's fine to tell them that. You don't know what you're talking about. You think you do. You're just making up this gobbledygook because you don't like what the Bible is saying. So you have these dumb alternatives. Ephesians 2, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Paul, man, I mean, how much is this in that? Then, then, you know, does Satan need helpers to do his evil? He absolutely does. Principalities, plural, and powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places, in Ephesians 6.12. He assigns fallen angels to national leaders, so he can influence them. Daniel 10.20, And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. So these guys, they, you know, they, he's saying there are spiritual entities assigned to Persia's kings and rulers. Not just the kings, it's the, you know, the cabinet members, the, the generals. There are other people in the mix. And Satan is hard at work influencing them. You say, where does the evil come from? How come you, there are countries they throw money into and it never gets any better? The corruption is so deep; it's just a money pit. Uh, you you send you want to send uh, you know wheat and flour to places in Africa. The armies take it all. So yeah, this is evil. This you know the uh, well. Let's go further because we'll come to some of this. Satan is behind it all. That's what Isaiah is trying is teaching us. Some uh, continuing in verse. 12, son of the morning, you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. These are the world leaders. Without satanic influences, they would be strong leaders. They would take care of their people. They wouldn't rob and oppress their people. Look at almost all of South America. I mean, you just shake your head. You say, man, I don't want to live there. Um, Why are they so poor? When... It's the leaders, the leadership. People might be offended at that. Then, then what else is it? The, the, the water? <laughs> the water? The water's le- No, there's a real devil. And I think people in third world nations are largely unfixable because of the corruption on the leadership level. And that's why Satan goes after Leaders of the world, and Isaiah says, you who weaken the nations. Uh, There's a very real effect. What are we supposed to be doing in the midst of this? Saving souls. You know, again, you see Christians come to the Bible and they read Psalm 21. They say, oh, this is the Messiah on the cross. They read, you know, Isaiah 53, uh, you know, Psalm 2. You can see the Messianic prophecies. How come they can't see the, you know, the demonic application here in Isaiah 14 and, and Ezekiel 28? that lay it all out. The Ethiopian eunuch, he knew this went beyond whoever was living in the days Isaiah wrote it. He said, does this man speak of himself or someone larger, someone else? And Philip said, well, let me help you with that. And uh, hopefully we would have those kind of situations. Verse 13, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. And here we have those personal pronouns of self-exaltation. I will, I will, I will. 
And the Bible comes along in the New Testament and says, you know, uh, say it according to if the Lord wills. Even Paul said, I'm going to come to you if the Lord wills. James said, you know, uh, subject to the will of the Lord. So the heart is where things are embraced. The head may figure it out, but the heart is where it is embraced. In the scripture, it's the entirety of, of our being, the will, the feelings, the intellect. Uh, that's the heart of it. And like the king of Babylon, Satan will one day be humiliated and defeated. Until then, his damage galore. Uh, he will be cast out of heaven, and he still has audience to heaven. He does not reside there, but Revelation 12 tells us the day is coming where he will lose that access, and he's going to be pretty angry about that. Uh, we see him having access in the book of Job. Uh, so he was cast out as a member of heaven, but he is still allowed access. It's sort of that old saying, you know, you, you keep your enemies close, <laughs> and uh, you kind of, the Lord telling us, I got my eye on him. Where you been, Satan? Oh, to and fro. Yeah, I know exactly where you've been. I knew you where you were going before you knew. Uh, that none of that is lost, but we need to hear it from Scripture and because there's so much authority to us from Scripture. Uh, and it's, it's right. Well, he will be cast into hell, Revelation 20.10. He will be cast out of heaven, finally. He will be cast into hell in two phases, just like he was cast out of heaven in two phases. So... Uh, whether God is dealing with kings or angels, it's true, pride precedes the fall. And we see it in Satan. And it is no surprise that those under his influence exhibit his qualities. And so Jesus said, you're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. You know, there are those that are addicted to some sin and they don't want help. Then there are others that do. There are those that do because they want their life back, but they don't want Christ. They just want their freedoms, you know, the control, self-control back. Then there are others that know that they call out to God. They want deliverance. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, these things, the Bible covers everything. And if you've ever had to engage people like this, people who are in, uh, under substance abuse, this is an excellent opportunity to lay out these facts. You know, do you want Freedom from the drug or the alcohol or whatever the substance is? Or do you want Christ? Because you can have them both. Or you can have just one. You can just be free from your drugs and alcohol addiction, whatever it is. But the question then looms over you. What does it profit a man? If he gains the world, loses his soul. And that's what it always comes back to. So here, Satan, in this monologue that Isaiah preserved for us, given to him by God, God sort of saying, let me tell you what Satan went through in his heart, that dirty heart of his. I will ascend into heaven. Uh, the, the, these I wills, beginning here, well, continuing here, are spiraling out of control. But he's the consummate maniac. Uh, and I don't mean that as intended to be an insult. Insult. Uh, let's open in a little bit. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And so here's the fall. He's falling. Shakespeare said, I charge thee, fling away ambition. By that sin fell angels. Oh, you got to love Shakespeare. He's very articulate. I, I wish I could talk like that. You know, go up to somebody, thou thick up, thou thought thy thick up. <laughs> he hearkened unto her. Hark, hark, hearkened he. That's Larry from the Three Stooges. Anyway, <laughs> I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. These are not words of a human being. We know this is a spiritual entity, and he has got a lot of rank. What man could voice such spectacular ambitions and not be considered crazy? Imagine if you went into your workplace and I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest part. They would say, what are you talking about? It's not even normal speech. Well, it is for Satan because that's... The, uh, the, the spiritual realm that he was in. He was an archangel. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's your Shirley MacLaine. I don't know if you, some of you don't know who she is, but she was one of the champions of the New Age movement, which we are, you know, the age of Aquarius. We are just evolving into this God state. We still pay taxes, though. That should disprove that. <laughs> anyway, uh, the name Michael, the, the angel named Michael, 
on the name Michael means who's like God? It's, it's, it's not even a, it's a rhetorical question. Ironically, Satan, uh, in his rebellion, he says, I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. So he discards that truth. It's convenient for him, and God lets him do it. And Lucifer does not stop there. This is still his offer to men. Genesis 3, 5, you will be like God. Eve, you want to improve yourself? You can be like God. So what appealed to Lucifer, he uses to trap humans, as he did with Eve. The promise of divinity. The promise of self-realization. And a twisted pursuit of self-improvement. Self-improvement is good, to a point. Not when you want to be like God. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old. I, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me. And the one who recognizes that, the one who recognizes that there are none like God but God, is the one who resists the devil. These are marks of the believer. Verse 15, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That's what it is. Revelation 22 I love this, 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 whoever this angel, in, angel is, he's a tough dude. I mean, he just sort of grabs Satan while he's eating a sandwich, you know, in one hand, grabs him. And his, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. He's a slanderer and he's an enemy. He was, a, he was Lucifer in the beginning, but he threw all that away and bound him for a thousand years. I don't know if there's any talking going along with this. When he's binding him, it's like, I've been wanting to do this to you for the last 5,000 years. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I just want to see this. I, I'd like to hand him whatever he binds him with. Pulls out his hand, you know, rope, chain, bungee, snack. Verse 20. The devil. Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, without end. That's where it goes. After he's chained for a thousand years, he's released for a little bit. He doesn't get to mess with the saints, but he gets to mess with people who are born on earth, uh, you know, after the return of Christ. Uh, they will they will put together a plan to resist God. He wipes them out right away, and Satan is forever uh, cast into the lake of fire. Uh, verse 16 now, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Well, Belshazzar really wasn't all that. His kingdom was, uh, but Satan is. Again, this goes beyond mere men. Uh, many have come and gone who are wicked and diabolical. Uh, but uh, this, uh, with Satan in back of them the entire time. Uh, the one who promised the kingdoms of this age to Jesus, if Jesus would only worship him, only bow down to him, is the same one being addressed here. The wicked weasel, the father of lies. And ultimately, he's judged, stripped of power and influence, and mocked as we come to the latter verses. Um, collectively, you cannot take Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and apply all of it to a human being. You have to weave in and out a little bit, but the bulk of it goes to Satan. Um, so we continue verse 17. Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? who did not open the house of the prisoners. Fits Satan perfectly. Certainly applies to the wicked kings of the earth to some degree. Second um, Thessalonians 2.9 gives us a little bit more insight on this evil realm. The coming of the lawless one, which is Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So if you become a convert to Christ during the Great Tribulation period and you say to one of those worldlings who wants the mark of the beast, because they're going to want it. They want that mark. And we're seeing 
precursors to this already taking place. They, you know, to them, Antichrist is going to be that proverbial rock star that everybody's going to admire and swoon over when he first comes on the scene with his lying wonders. And so Paul says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with power, signs, and lying wonders. How do you know they're lying wonders? Because they're going to be unrighteous. You're going to be promoting all of the perversities we see today. In 1 John, I read this one from the pulpit a lot. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So that's, you know, this when, when Isaiah is here talking about the power of this individual, it should be no surprise to us. That's why I kind of, I'm kind of irritated the whole time I'm up here at the theologians that, that well, well, this isn't Satan. Or some of the other ones, you know, they, well, this might be. How, it doesn't, and who else could it be? Well, it can't be Jimmy Durante. Sorry, the name just came in my head. Some of you don't know who he is either. Okay, I'm going to start using modern people. Oh, I don't know any of them. Sorry. Uh, you'll have to Google Jimmy. Uh, who else could this be? Uh, so I think, you know, when we, when we preach the gospel to the lost, there needs to be some authority with us. Not this like, well, you know, I think... There's this burst, like this burst forth of heat coming out, like Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You know, that's what you know. Who would be attracted to? Well, you know, I think I think Christ is all that. That's not attractive. That's insulting. Anyway, uh, the Scripture backs up what we say. Christ, Colossians, Paul writing, and you listen to Paul write and say, "How did Paul know these things?" Same way Isaiah did. God communicates it. There's Paul preparing, and he, he wants to use the word, well, let's see, what word do I use here? And all of a sudden, he gets it. And he gets, and he gets the picture. And, and that's how the, the prophets were inspired. Uh, holy men moved by God. Second Corinthians 2.15, speaking about Christ and these spiritual entities, it says, it says having disarmed principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing. I'm just making sure I can say it again. This uh, Christ on the cross, this Savior, did it publicly. There's nothing hidden about what Christ did. When the Christian is to be baptized, it's because the Christian has identified, He's my Lord. Sign me up. Put my name down in bold letters. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I am his subject. I am his servant. Put it down. That's what the baptism is. And the baptism says to the world, I don't care if you don't like it, but I hope you love it. Uh, it, it you know, I remember years ago, I baptized this young man named James. And his mom wasn't, didn't get baptized that year. But when it was James' time to come into the pool, he marched, he stomped into that pool Sneakers on, jeans, every, just with his regular clothes. He just stomped into that water. And I said to him, I said, man, that's how you do it. That's a thought. he was probably 16 years old. And he, he comes in, he gets baptized. His mom at the end says, I should have baptized. I should have said yes. I saw my boy walk. I said, I bet you did see him march into that pool. Who didn't? And the next year she got baptized. So, uh, you know. It's a public display of principalities and powers being disarmed. And we know it by faith. We don't have to see it finalized. We have enough information to know it is finalized. And so verse 18, And all the kings of the nations, all of them, sleep in glory, every one in his own house. And let me pause there. I wish I could get baptized again. Just to show people how it's done. <laughs> stomping out and I'd be banging on the waters of walking in with defying, <laughs> defying hell as uh, long as Christ is in front of me verse 18 all the kings of the nations all of them sleep in glory everyone in his own house look what it got them right but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch like a garment and <clears throat> of those who are slain thrust through with the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. <laughs> He's just laying that out. Let me give you a picture of your, your fate here. 
you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The, uh, the brood of evildoers shall never be named. And so this is really Belshazzar. Prepare the slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. <laughs> I say, let's put a stop to the spread of them. Uh, verse 22, For I will rise up against them, says Yahweh of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and offspring and prosperity, uh, posterity, par- pardon me, posterity, says the Lord. So Babylon is destroyed, and you will not meet a Babylonian. It's in the land of Iraq, but it has nothing to do with ancient Babylon uh, directly. Verse 23, I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and the marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it into the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. So there's just this outpouring of graphic language that just makes it clear Babylon will be no more. Verse 24, Yahweh of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought so. Uh, Surely I have thought so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. The operative word is the purpose of God. It will happen. Verse 25, That I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on the mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. So now a proclamation yet again of Assyria. It will not be the last in the book of Isaiah. He goes back to them. At the time this was put together, Assyria is still the world power. And his audience would want to still, you know, this would be meaningful to them. Uh, So uh, we'll see Assyria more. Uh, Verse 26. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out. Over all the nations, verse 27, for Yahweh of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So the immutable, unstoppable, unchanging purposes of God. Revelation 18.23 about ancient Babylon ties it into the source, the headwaters of occultic idolatry. says this, For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. One single source of deception reached the whole world. That Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy from. So there are some potions and drugs involved. Uh, I don't call them medicines. I don't think that's what is in mind there. But drugs and medicines are two different things. Although medicines fall under the category. But a medicine is supposed to make you better. Verse 28, this is the burden which came in the year of King Ahaz, that King Ahaz died, and we're glad to see him go. Hezekiah, his son, the grandson of King Hezekiah, will, a good king will come to the throne. Verse 29, do not rejoice, all you Philistia, because the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery serpent. So the Philistines, which are also people gone, a race that is no longer in the race, uh, whether he's talking about Hezekiah dealing with them, as we told in Second Kings 18, or if he's talking about um, the Assyrians, it really doesn't matter. What does matter is that they were dealt with Both the Assyrians and King Hezekiah scourged the Philistines, but Hezekiah seems to have finally made them so, marginalized them to the point where they never rose up again. Verse 30, the firstborn of the poor will will feed and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine and it will slay your, and, and I will slay your remnant. So like the Babylonians, God never promised the remnant to survive as he did with Israel. Verse 31, Well, O gates, cry, O city, all you of Philistia are dissolved, for smoke will come from the north, and no one will be alone in his appointed times. Verse 32, 
And these things, they're pretty much self-explanatory. It just needs a comment or two like, that's no, Philistines, they're done with. The details you, you are just right there. Verse 32, what will they answer the messengers of the nation that Yahweh has founded Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it? So typical of the prophets, in the end, Israel uh, is going to prevail. Uh, God will prevail over Satan, but the, those world uh, kingdoms that were against Israel will be gone. A little long, but that's what it takes to get through. This is why other pastors don't do it. <laughs> well, most Calvary pastors, I think, are still doing these verse by verse. Uh, they're a lot of work, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks for coming. <laughs> See if you can make it to chapter 66. Let's pray. Our Father, this evening, uh, again, so many things to think about, uh, so much information to digest, to take up our time. And it's a worthwhile spending uh, or use of our time to meditate on your word, to think it through, helps the appreciation and helps ready us to be used. May, may you use us whatever capacity you want. May we identify it, be useful to you. May it get us home safely tonight, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.